Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Howdy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again to American Cowboy in New Zealand podcast. And this episode is story time again. I'm going to share another personal experience of mine and some lessons that I gleaned from it. I like sharing stories and telling stories sometimes during or after my clinics, just helping people hear a little something unique. Everybody loves a good story and, and maybe something that they could take away and remember in their own journey and something they may never face themselves, but something that helps them apply some of the things that we're learning in the clinics and as we study horsemanship and continue our own personal journey with our horses and our uh, desire to improve our communication and our understanding of the horse. This is a story I call Dixie Goes for a Swim. It had already been a long day and it was only mid-afternoon. The wind and dust had parched my throat. I kind of figured the Arab cross mare I was riding felt the same way. It was only the end of May, but already the high desert west of the Bighorn Mountains was dry, and it was definitely time to get the cow-calf pairs gathered and aimed at higher, greener country. Dixie was a short, round-barreled mare, basically a nice way of saying she was sawed off and fat, but I'd picked her that morning because she was energetic and quick, the right sort for big country. She had a deep well. You wouldn't run out of horse. We'd covered several miles before finding ourselves at a bend in the irrigation canal. The steep-sided canal was full, headed from Trapper Creek towards the fields north of Shell, Wyoming, population 50. All week we'd gathered pairs from Potato Ridge, pointing them into the painted hills, just the first step of their summer-long journey into the mountains. As we trotted up the steep edge of the canal, I had a thought to dismount, and for once I listened to my gut. As I stepped off, Dixie tossed her head in anticipation of finally getting to wet her whistle. She was a hard-working critter, but she had a resistant streak not unlike a cornered polecat. The breeze felt warm as I stood next to my sweaty mount, listening to her gulp. I waited for her to have her fill, and then turned to walk away from the edge, giving a small tug on the makate to signal her to follow. Maybe her thirst wasn't thoroughly quenched, because she tossed her head defiantly. She was kind of thrown off balance when I didn't pull back, and suddenly, tail over tea kettle, she flipped right into the drink. <laughs> After bobbing twice like a half-ton cork, she righted herself. This being a new situation for both of us, we sort of just looked at each other for a brief moment, wondering what to do next. Then she realized she was at just the right height to eat the grass on the bank without lowering her head. How convenient. Meanwhile, I noticed my saddle, blanket, saddlebag, slicker, and rope had 
just about reached full moisture content. I began to urge her to jump out of the ditch. She made some valiant efforts, but it was in vain. Simply put, she was too short and fat. I then noticed a place downstream where the cattle had been drinking, knocking down the edge of the bank so it wasn't so steep. We struggled to that point and tried again. She lunged against the bank. She couldn't manage to get her front feet high enough. And by this time, she was truly exhausted. What to do now? I briefly considered leading her along the ditch, but she was too tired to fight the current to go upstream, and to go downstream was to get yet further away from ranch headquarters. Finally, I crawled down into the mud and water, loosened the cinches and breast collar, and half drug, half tossed all the gear up on the bank. Everything was soaking wet and weighed well over a hundred pounds. Now Dixie was able to get a leg up and heave herself out of the dirty water. She stood there, rivulets running down on off her legs into the dust, <laughs> with a somewhat sheepish look on her face. Crazy cayuse. My boots, chinks, pants, shirt were all wet, covered in clay. I didn't know you were that thirsty, you knothead. But there was nothing left to do now but saddle her up again and head home. About time to call it a day anyway. I reckon I learned an important lesson that day. You can lead a horse to water, but can't make her drink. And it may be equally difficult getting her out of the drink or something like that. But you know, there's always something that we can pull out of a story or a personal experience Maybe you have a situation, too, where you've faced something, you and your horse, that you never could have imagined or perhaps prepared for. And I think that that's probably true for most of us in working or riding horses and doing what we enjoy to do with them. There's, there's just no possible way to prepare ourselves and our horses for the specific situation you may find yourself in and that you may need to face. But... I think there are some foundational principles that can set you up for success. Response, which is one of the three R's that I like to talk about, which I've covered in episode three, if you haven't caught that yet, I encourage you to go check that out. You know, response is based in trust and understanding. Or essentially, another way to think about that is emotional and mental okayness. All right, the trust is the emotional side, the understanding is the mental side. And when our horses are there in that kind of a state, then they truly can be responsive, not just doing what we'd like them to do, but doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time. And that's, that sums up response. And I think it includes an engaged willingness, right? An engaged willingness. This is the sort of foundational thing that you may not have specifically approached in your prior training or handling or preparation, but you have your horse responsive. They're with you. They want to be with you, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and they're willing. There's a mentally engaged, emotionally okay willingness. They've got try, you know. 
And the other aspect of that that sort of goes along alongside of that is the idea that desensitization is not near as, as important as acceptance and response in spite of trouble. It's very easy for, for us, and I think it's very common from what I can see, for a lot of folks to spend a lot of time trying to desensitize their horses. And without going too far down that track, what I want to say is, first of all, a horse is a very sensitive animal, and we need that sensitivity preserved in there in the right ways. We don't need it reactive, but we'd like them still to be sensitive. So be careful how you desensitize your horse and how much you desensitize your horse. And I'll just give a quick example. The classic approach sort of of approach and retreat and having the horse stand and you know, letting them sniff it and take it away and touch them with it and take it away and have them sniff it and take it away and rub them on the shoulder, take it away and rub them down one side and down the other or, or you know, throwing the saddle pad up and back and up, back and forth, back and forth, or the stick and string or the rope or whatever, back and forth, back and forth, and just having that horse stand there and, and trying to base your, your uh, progress on the fact that the horse is standing or goes from moving because he's worried about it back to standing because he is supposedly is desensitized to it, is really an oversimplification of the process. First of all, what happens is a real wary, worried horse, a lot of times will figure out you want them standing, and so they will try, but they're shutting down. A lot of times they're, they're shutting out that stimulus that you're applying. They're not dealing with it. They're just trying to ignore it or survive realizing that you actually want them to stand. On the flip side, a horse that is not so worried about it, well, he can go half asleep, you know, and, and not really be processing what you're doing uh, and apparently doesn't care. A lot of times he's internalizing some, some of the anxiety he might be having or he doesn't care at all and he's bored stiff, right? <laughs> That's two ends of a spectrum that we don't want to be on. The other thing that I want to draw out there, and this again is a, a whole other subject we're going to have to cover in a different, another episode, but if they're just standing still, their brain is not firing on all cylinders. Like we, It's much more effective to be asking them to do something and have an ongoing conversation, communication going on between the two of you so that you can actually assess the level of distraction or discomfort that might be the result of what you're uh, applying or, or what you're working with. And at that point, it's not just desensitization that you're talking about. It's actually built on a principle that I call response in spite of trouble. When a horse is troubled, they get reactive. They, get, they might get resistant. There's an element of distraction there. The mind goes from us to the distraction or to the stimulus that you're applying. And it's a perfect opportunity for us to work on not only expanding their comfort zone, perhaps working on an idea of desensitization, but more important than that is the idea that the horse can start to lose the focus or get distracted with self-preservation, right, and manage to come back to us or learn how to come back to a state of response or try his best to come back to a state of response in the midst of that moment. And that really is a foundational principle that's applicable to anyone working with any horse at any time. That is a very useful principle and idea to get established. So it doesn't matter whether what the object is at that point at all. 
it's the principle. And this is what I mean by a general foundational principle being necessary to prepare your, you for the completely unexpected because there's no way you can expose them to every possible object or situation that you may face. The second lesson I think we can draw from this story would be the idea to trust your gut. To, you know, sometimes you might just have a feeling about something. You might not be able to even explain it. And if you're with friends or people you're riding with, you know, and you, and you suggest something or you have an idea or, or, a, or a warning bell's going off in your mind, you might not be, even be able to express or verbalize any reason why. You're, you're feeling that way. But sometimes, quite often, it pays to trust your gut. Intuition is a funny thing, and sometimes God might be trying to save you some trouble. You know, if I'd have stayed mounted on Dixie on that steep edge of that, that irrigation canal, this little deal might have been much more serious. Much more serious wreck with my going head first in the same as she did, and, uh, you know, who knows? Injured, knocked out, drowned, you know? There's no, there's no telling what, what that might have looked like. And the reality is, is, of course, with horses, we don't know what's, what might happen. We, you never know what might happen, anything. I actually, I did get tipped off in the drink just a couple of weeks ago on my, my young stud, my young paint stud, True. Uh, he's still fairly green, and, and I, it's been raining quite a bit here this, this winter. I was crossing or came up a little creek and, and found a spot where it was quite deep in a corner where the, where the water swirled around a bit. And I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to get this young horse into a little deeper water and we'll come across. We were going up the, up the creek. And uh, so I lined him up there and it's a little rock, rocky and, and loose. You know, it's kind of sinky and he's sort of, he's not snorting, but he's just taking his each step real slow and just looking around. I just let him kind of, you know, work things out and the water was getting up pretty close to my my feet and he was just sort of nosing down where it was going to get a little deeper than that and then it was right up the other side around this little corner where the water had dug this this hole and I was just giving him all the time in the world it was oh, it had only been a oh, I don't know 10 20 seconds as he was sort of making his way along there real careful and just checking things out and you know that split second <laughs> When something's about to happen, and you know, if you have enough experience, you you kind of see what's about to happen, and sometimes you're quick enough to do something about it, and then sometimes you just aren't. Well, I can still see it in my mind. He looked over to his right, and there was quite a high bank to the right. It was much lower to the left, as we we're going up the creek here. He looked over to his right. I could just I can see it in my mind. He just glanced over there, and I thought I can remember thinking like. There's no way he's going to try to go up that bank like he would think that that would be a good option. And the very next half second, that's exactly what he tried to do. And man, he made a good effort at it. He lunged himself up that higher bank and got about a good halfway, like a real good effort. And we were perched up there on the corner of this high bank for another half second. And then I thought, uh-oh because we started to come backwards. And sure enough, he kind of fell back into the water, half on his side, half on his butt. And I tumbled off back behind him. 
And, you know, the only thing I'm thinking at that point is get my feet clear of the stirrups, right? I knew I was clear of him and he didn't fall on me, but we both fell back into the water and I'm thinking, get my foot clear of the stirrup. My right foot had come out. I was back on my left shoulder and I could feel that my left boot was still in the stirrup. And as he started to get up, of course, my foot comes at that angle where it's not going to come out of that stirrup. And this is all happening absolutely way faster than I can tell it. Well, I just rolled, right? I rolled to my left so that I could twist my boot to, and drop it out of the stirrup just as he got to his feet. And, of course, my back was to him by that time, but he kind of went down the creek uh, about 10 paces, you know, pretty frisky-like. And if my foot had been in that stirrup, well, we all know what would have happened. So he kind of jumped out and got snarled up in the blackberry and the brambles down there. And so I went and caught him and, and uh, squeezed some water out of the places I could get to get run off. And I stepped back on him and we rode back downstream and crossed the same hole again and just went right through it. And he was, he was fine. He was just good as gold. But, you know, you never do know what might happen. And even with um, experience, these sorts of things can happen faster than you can do anything about them. And it doesn't, you know, the main thing is that uh, we, we do our best to prepare. We do our best. And, and that's where for like, like with true there, you know, it wasn't a reactive thing. He didn't start bucking. He didn't kick, you know, as he left all those sorts of things. And then I was able to get right back on him and, and fix things up. So all that to say, you know, kind of an additional story there, but you know, you never do know, but trust your gut, just if in doubt. And if you feel like your gut's kind of a chicken, like you're struggling with confidence issues, you know, I always find that improving your knowledge and your application of what you're learning, improving your ability to communicate and recognize how horses think so you can set things up for success is a really good way to gradually build up your confidence and your horse's confidence in you and in themselves. So... Anyway, I hope you find that helpful. Hope you're having a great day wherever in the world you are. Be sure and, and leave us a comment or get in touch and let us know how you're enjoying this podcast. Keep a leg on each side, your mind in the middle. We'll catch you down the road. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.